Good evening, everybody, and welcome to Let's Talk Low Vision, brought to you by the Council of Citizens with Low Vision International. My name is Dr. Bill Takesta, and tonight I'll be your host. We're very, very fortunate this evening that we have gentlemen who are willing and ready to talk about disaster preparedness. As you know, we've had many disasters throughout the country, including floods and hurricanes, tornadoes, fires over here in California, and uh, even earthquakes in, in Mexico. So from the Florida Council line, we have uh, Mr. Jim Crott and Mr. Doug Hall. Welcome to the show, gentlemen. Thank you very much. Thank you, Dr. Bill. Thank you, Dr. Bill. Yes. You know, uh, first of all, I'd like to ask uh, Jim, what is your background? How have you learned all of this information about being prepared for such an emergency? Um, I think the best thing I can tell you is from practical, everyday living more than anything else. Uh, we're Hurricane Andrews survivors. Uh, that was in 1992. We just went through Irma, uh, and we've certainly been through many other named storms over the last uh, 30, 40 years that we've been in Florida. Um, I can remind folks of, of a storm that we went through in 1979 uh, when I had a four-month-old baby sleeping in a crib while the rain was coming down, uh, and I broke my toe during that storm. <laughs> oh, my. up shutters. So, uh, anyway, my, my knowledge comes primarily from uh, everyday experience. Gosh, that, that I just can't imagine how frightening that must be, especially if you're taking care of a young baby, too, and uh, the floodwaters is raising. Uh, what about you, Doug? What is your background? Um, actually, talk about disasters, I'm from the Northeast where, where you have blizzards and snow, but I've been in Florida for, same as Jim, about 40 years. And my, I suppose, my knowledge about disasters is more from, well, some from experience, but also from my involvement. Uh, I've been involved with a number of agencies and organizations that deal with um, disasters, such as here in Volusia, we have the um, community organization Active in Disasters, which is a, a support group of citizens to assist um, governmental bodies. Um, also, I serve. I have served with another a number of other organizations. Um, but then, my wife and I have had experience, not as drastic as Jim's, but we've we've experienced um, some disasters. For instance, several years ago, I think it was 2004, um, we had wildfires. As a matter of fact, the county north of us, Flagler County, was completely evacuated because of forest fires. Uh, the whole wow. county burned, um, and we we had we had ashes falling in our yard uh, from the fires. So, yeah, fire here in Florida you get, when it gets dry, it really gets dry, and we have some tremendous fires. Kind of not as serious as the ones in California at the moment, but we've had you know we've had different disasters. We're lucky when it comes to hurricanes. We really have not experienced a major hurricane like Andrew. We've had some smaller hurricanes, um, and we've been lucky enough to not have any problems with them. Wow. Or big problems. Mm -hmm. Well, I guess the first thing, though, is to really try to think about what could all of us do to prepare uh, for any any particular type of disaster, whether it's going to be a fire, or a flood, or earthquake, or hurricane, uh, Jim, what what are some of the first steps that all of us should do now to prepare? Well, I, I think um, whatever geographic area you live in, prepare for different. In Florida, you live where you have hurricanes. You have some flooding with the hurricanes, some flooding otherwise. To some degree, um, there are things you can do to prepare for that. Um, one of the things you can do is that you need to do is make sure you have the right kind of insurance in place. You um, always need to see if you need flood insurance and see if you can 
have windstorm insurance or other coverage if you're a renter of your personal property. Um, that's an important heads-up thing to do first. Um, the next thing uh, you can do is make an effort to keep, uh, to the extent that you're able, to keep some cash in your uh, home. And I say that because uh, you go through these storms and there is a point where if the storm is serious enough, you are going to need money. You're going to need money for fuel for a generator. You're going to need money for food. You're going to need whatever. There are, of course, a whole list of natural um, steps that you take in terms of accumulating a food supply, a water supply, batteries, candles. You want to make sure that you do the things that, that you think of that are natural, um, if you have protective coverings for your windows and openings, be it storm shutters. Uh, in my case, we've had three types of shutters on our homes. Uh, we started with plywood, um, which is a little bit more cumbersome to work with. Uh, that was how I broke my toe in David. Um, <clears throat> we then went to storm panels, which have to be individually put up panel by panel and pegged in or screwed in. And now we have roll-on shutters um, that are accordions that open. And then uh, people today have uh, safety glass, uh, hurricane glass, uh, so you don't even have to protect the glass anymore. You need to allow plenty of time to make your preparations of your property. You need to bring all the things in from outside. You need to um, make sure that you have time to get your shutters up, your window protections up. If you don't have window protection, you need to get uh, tape. And they say tape your windows, although they don't say it as much as they used to. <clears throat> but thinking through where you're at at any given time is an important process. You need to have escape routes in mind. You need to always have medication on stock so that you can... Um, have plenty of medication if a storm should hit. Um, you need to have food and water for your uh, service animal if you have one. Uh, probably a week's supply is good. Um, water sources are often contaminated. Uh, I can't um, over uh, explain the necessity of having water. I think if you follow the news, uh, Puerto Rico, for example, while 50-60% of the population in Puerto Rico doesn't have electricity, surprisingly enough, they also don't have potable water down there. Um, and that's a huge issue. So you want to have a means to stockpile water, buy drinking water, have buckets to collect um, water for flushing toilets, water for washing, uh, cleaning, um, and, you know, another vehicle is you can buy a special kind of caulk uh, that you wrap around the drain plug of the bathtub so you can get a good seal and use that for holding extra water. Um, you want to have bleach so you can clean the bathtub before you use it for uh, accumulating water. Um, those are a few things that, that come to mind, none of which by themselves. Oh, those are very, very helpful tips. Ma'am, did you say that there is a special caulk that you could put into the drain of your sinks or your bathtubs is to, to store yes. the water? Yes. There is a, 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 a caulk material that doesn't come in like a tube, but it, it looks like a flat piece of um, putty, and you wrap it around the plunger of your drain, and it'll make a perfectly good seal uh, that won't leak so that you can uh, use it for a holding tank. That's a, you know, that's a great idea because if there is no water and you do have the ability to use your toilet, you could use that water to flush the toilet at least, right? That's right. That's right. Wow. Now... Doug, Jim talked about the importance of having an adequate food supply, 
and uh, also to have uh, medications or like a first aid type of kit. And over here in Los Angeles, I, I just heard some commercials today about a, a company, something uh, Patriot Food Source or something of that type. And they claim that they have food that will last you three days, food and water, and it's $17. But I was just wondering, how much water and how much food or what types of food did did you feel was the most effective in in the situation of emergency where you may not have any food or water for a week? What did you well, actually purchase? Well, basically, the uh, the rule that is normally given in terms of water is to have at least one gallon per person per day. Um, mm-hmm. In, in it frequently, and it depends on the person, but it may be more than that. But at least a gallon per person per day, and that is not including water necessary for the toilet. That's basically drinking water and things along that line. So that's a thing to prepare. As a matter of fact, I keep several bottles of water um, in our refrigerator, and periodically I'll just cha- uh, change it out. So especially in the beginning of hurricane seasons, if that we talk about that, uh, so I do have water. In terms of food, it's important to have food items that do not need cooking because chances are you're going to lose power. And unless you have a gas stove, uh, you don't have power. You can't do cooking. Um, so it's it's better it's best to have things that are not that is not going to require energy to cook. And Unless you have, let's say, a, and this is where I messed up, it helps to have a gas grill with gas that uh, during calm season, whatever it is, out on a patio or whatever it is, you can do cooking on your gas grill or your charcoal grill or whatever it is. But it's best to have things that that you can use. Um, Of course, the big question comes in terms of disasters, and this is one of the questions we have to ask. Do we stay where we are, or do we evacuate to a shelter or elsewhere? And that's a big question everyone has to ask. And if we were to decide to evacuate, big question for anybody who is visually impaired or blind is, or, or has another disability is, how do you get there? What about transportation? In a lot of parts of the country, there is not public transportation. So it becomes a real hassle um, to decide what to do. And even if you do evacuate, you need to have um, food, water, and, and other things in your, in your preparedness kit to take with you. Um, and, I, and I think that's a big thing that people have to think about. Wow. So how are how are people carrying these gallons of water if if they have to walk and you know go to the evacuation center? That could be tough. That's and that's a good question. I know here now it, it varies around the country, but here in Volusia County, where I am, our bus system uh, when it comes to a disaster, our bus system becomes a public transportation system and. The people here with disabilities are recommended to register with the um, emergency preparedness department. So if there is a disaster or, or, or an emergency like that, um, they feed that information to the bus system, and the bus system calls and said, you know, do you need help? And if so, they come with their, with their paratransit system, pick people up and take them to the shelters. Oh, okay. Um, but that that's um, an important thing. I was just going to back up to Dr. Bill's original question and mention a couple of food types that uh, might be good for uh, hurricane uh, supplies or disaster relief supplies. Uh, I think canned foods such as tuna and chicken and turkey um, and cereals, uh, peanut butter, box cheeses, uh, things that don't require refrigeration are some good examples of the kinds of foods that people normally uh, will use to, 
to tide them over. Uh, Doug mentioned that, uh, using your grill. Uh, that's an excellent idea, uh, especially if you lose your power and you've got food in your refrigerator that's going to spoil. You can use the grill after the disaster has passed, <clears throat> maybe to prepare some of that food, and that will tide you over. But you can't count on that happening. Um, so there's a few kinds of, uh, of, of food items that you uh, might want to think about. You know, Jim, you had mentioned something about a generator that you have, and I, I never thought about a generator. I'm out here in California. and Tell us a little bit about these generators. Um, how much well, how much electricity do they do they produce, and how much gasoline do they use? As soon as I was able to get to a telephone uh, after Andrew in 1992, we called a friend of ours lived about lived about 350 miles away, and said, "Go and buy." a high generator and when Pat will meet you tomorrow with their generator and a chainsaw. Um, the generator that we bought uh, was a 5,000 um, kW kilowatt hour generator, hour generator would generate enough power to run a room air conditioner and refrigerator, um, some lights and TV and we could shut off some of that and keep the refrigerator, keep the hot water heater uh, up when we wanted to take a shower. Um, you can do that for a fairly modest amount of money now, but the problem is they do use a lot of gasoline. Um, you have to have a means uh, to fill uh, your uh, fuel containers. Uh, every four or five days, um, and that generator will need to be filled with gasoline every three or four hours. Um, I think generators are a little more efficient now. Uh, my generator is uh, 25 years old, and it's probably not the most efficient generator on the market, even though it was a Honda generator. Um, but uh, I have a friend who lives in California uh, up in the San Francisco Bay Area, and he acquired a generator because of his fear of losing power to earthquakes. Um, and he always had a very large whole house generator uh, that he maintained, and uh, that would run a significant amount of his house. Um, so generators are good for all kinds of disasters. Uh, I'm not sure you want a generator in the wake of a forest fire, but otherwise I think they're a great implement to have and consider. Yeah, it sounds like they could be very helpful, you know, after the disaster. The following days it could be very, very helpful, you know, to have that ability to uh, power up your refrigerator and keep keep some of the food you have cool. <clears throat> hey, Doug? Uh, one yes, of the other questions that I, I wanted to know is that when you went through uh, the, the, these different hurricanes and such, how did you keep in communication? <clears throat> excuse me, with with the world. How did you know what the news is, or if it, the news was telling you if you live in this neighborhood, you need to evacuate, and this is where you need to go? Did you no, have any difficulty with any any radio communication? That's an, an excellent question. Uh, first of all, uh, telephone. Jim mentioned telephones. If a person is on cable telephone, you will lose telephone service if there's any kind of power power um, outage. Um, however, now what we found with both Matt, Hurricanes Matthew and Irma, um, we depended on our cell phones. Our cell phones, ne we never lost cell phone power or, well, actually we did. The cell phone's uh, power went down and we had to recharge it and we just put it, in, we plugged it into our car and recharged it. Uh, also, I have a battery backup system that does charge it, so I would plug the phones in and charge them on, on whatever. But our regular phones were out, so that's important. 
In terms of communication with what's going on in the world, it's very important to have radios that are battery-powered. Um, I think we have three here, one of which is a weather radio, and then I have two regular radios, and uh, one of the local stations here stayed on 24 hours a day, and the other stations actually all tied into this one station that had the generator. And we kept that station on, on all the time and, and said what was happening. But then we had our weather radio, and that would let us know weather-wise what was going on. Now, you mentioned that you you actually had a special type of battery that could charge your cell phones, even if you had no electricity. Can you tell me about that? Because I've never heard of that. It's called a Power Pack 300 is what it's called. And that's an older one, but there are newer ones. But basically what it is, it's a rechargeable power pack. And um, the one we have, actually, they say can be used to charge a car battery to start a car. I, I haven't tried it yet. But uh, it has four outlets, so you can plug a radio in or cell phones in or something as long, something small. Uh, you can you, you basically you charge it. Um, it's a, it's basically a ba- battery, it's a backup system for, for charging, and it works. Um, it worked for us fine during the last hurricane. Ah, that's great. Now, uh, Jim, have you ever heard of any of these radios, these AM, FM radios, that you could wind them up? You don't have to use a battery. Have you had any experience with any of those? I've seen them. I haven't owned one or used one regularly. Um I think they're good. They're, they're, you're supposed to be able to get 60 to 120 minutes out of them between lines, as I understand it. And um, they're certainly something that would alleviate your need to charge. But I think Doug's battery backup suggestion in today's world of electronics is really a, a spot-on um, suggestion. Uh, we have a similar battery backup. And I've got a couple other auxiliary battery packs as well. Um, but the one thing I did want to mention, it hasn't been as big a problem in our storms of late in Florida, but I think it was a problem with the fires in the last couple of weeks in California. And that is telecommunication. While cell service can work, the cell towers can go out and do go out regularly, uh, California had areas with no cell service during the fires. One thing I would strongly urge you when thinking ahead about disaster relief, what family members or friends are you going to need to let know that you're okay? And you need to have in your mind and maybe communicate to someone outside of your home a tree, a telephone tree that if you get into a situation where you have no telecommunications because of a natural disaster, you can get to one person and you can say, let your list of people know that you're okay or you've gone to a shelter or whatever. Um, That was very critical to us and Andrew. We didn't have telephone service um, for quite a while and we finally were able to get to a telephone and call a couple of people and say, call siblings and call parents and do this and do that, and spread the word that we were okay. Um, I had uh, some relatives from Salt Lake City um, that were very active in the Mormon church, and I was standing in my uh, utility room pulling some tools out of the closet one one morning about 7 o'clock, and some big booming voice tapped on the window, and it was this relative who was with an insurance company who hadn't, the family hadn't been able to reach us from Salt Lake, and they'd sent him over to check us out. Wow. So, you know, communication is important. You know, Jim, did you actually let your friend or relative in the outside area did you give them a, a, a list of names and telephone numbers of who you wanted them to that. call? We did do that eventually, yes. Oh, that's a great, great idea. 
you know, Doug, you had mentioned that you have been involved in situations where there's fire. And yeah. in a fire or similar to a hurricane, I'd imagine, there's certain times that things may happen so quickly and you have to leave your home. How, oh, no, definitely. How, how did you prepare all the papers or how did you determine what things are we going to take? You know, you only have a matter of seconds to get out of the house and if somebody has a car, but how did you know what things to take? What was the important thing, the deed to your house or insurance papers or what did you do? Well, basically what we need to do, and long before the emergency, we need to sit down, decide what's important, and put them together in a in one location so that if you need to, you can grab it and go with it. And that's very important to to have organization and preparedness is critical and being ready for an emergency. And you never know when there's going to be an emergency, whether it be a fire or a flood or whatever it is. Hurricanes are, are nice in that you have plenty of notice usually. Uh, with tornadoes, you have a bit of a notice. Sometimes with fires and floods, you don't. Um, so it's it's very important to be prepared just in case. Um, my wife and I have basically looked at what we need. We, um, if something, and we had, if we had leave in a hurry, there are a few things we know we need to grab. Um, I keep a an emergency prepare, preparedness backpack packed and ready to go at all times, um, just periodically changing the things in there. That's something that a lot of people don't do, and we're lucky enough to do that. Uh, in terms of the fires we had here, we're, thank goodness we're not in Flywood County, but like I said, when we had the huge fires in Flagwood, which is just north of here, I was getting ashes and embers falling in our yard. So one of the things we need to do is to frequently wa um, run water to, so that we didn't burn. Um, but we, we kept our radios on and we listened to what was happening and if it came too close, we would be getting in our car and heading south. Um, you know, Doug, when you, Doug you, you had mentioned, yeah, when you're getting uh, embers that are flying into your yard or such and you keep the water running, what do you mean by that, you keep the water running? Do you have the holes running around the house or no, you're, what you're, I, you're sprinkling your roof? What do you, what do you mean you have the water well, we running? Have, first of all, we have sprinklers in our yard which we could turn on. But, no, what we do is we would basically just uh, uh, use a hose to, to periodically water down the house and the yard. Um, and some people try that. In some cases it works, and, some, and sometimes it doesn't. From what I hear in California, that hasn't worked in some areas because um, the fire can jump over areas and go to other, you know, and, and burn. Um, it, it helped us out at that point, but who knows, it may not have helped in another case. I remember at one point we, um, we left, we had a meeting in Orlando, we're in Daytona Beach, we had a meeting in Orlando, which is basically west of here, and we drove from Daytona to Orlando, and there was fire on both sides of the road. I think oh. we're crazy to do it. Oh, my goodness. Now, um, what about what about situations like that when you're in an area? I I would imagine that when it gets a little bit windier, everything dries up, and uh, you're really at risk of a fire. Yeah. Did you have any specific recommendations for our listeners that they should purchase many fire extinguishers? And are there certain types of fire extinguishers that we should buy that would work better than others? And you know, well, I, I've been told the ABC fire extinguisher is probably the best one. However, fire extinguishers can be good, but people need to remember that a fire extinguisher is not going to be the end of, of everything in terms of putting out fires. We need to be ready and willing to get out. Um, using a fire extinguisher and a fire that's too big is like spitting in the wind. 
a person would be, be, would be better off using that time. Instead of using a fire extinguisher, they might be better off to get prepared and get out. Wow. Um, wow. Too many people think that they can put the fire out and, and you know, they necessarily can't. So that it's important to be personal observation add to that comment because I think it's very important. I think sometimes uh, people generally over-rely on fire extinguishers, as Doug said, said and not having uh, functional vision in many instances could make that reliance even more detrimental because we really may not be in a position to see uh, just how big uh, yeah. the fire has become as quickly as uh, it has become big, and therefore you're really putting yourself in harm's way. So uh, fire extinguishers are great. Uh, I, I think they have a place for kitchen fires uh, to some degree, but I also think as a blind or visually impaired person, um, you, you really need to think twice about how long you're going to rely on fire suppression like that uh, instead of just getting out and getting the fire department on the phone. Jim, you know, you are so right with that. I was thinking I should buy a lot of fire extinguishers so that if there is a fire in my home, you know, I could put out some of these fires. But I am totally blind, and I really wouldn't know where is the flames. I, I wouldn't know if it's higher or at my eye level or below, or maybe it is shooting up 10 feet tall. And many times our, our lack of vision, it's not going to allow us to put out the fire, and we should get out. Exactly. Um, Jim, I want to ask you, because I know that Doug had mentioned that his family, they do have a car. Uh, do you have a car in your family, and did you use your car to evacuate you speaking to me? Yes, Jim. Yes, uh -huh. yes uh, I also have a car in my family. Um, we we didn't evacuate, per se, any storm, but we did relocate during Irma and needed the vehicle to do that. Um, we relocated because our home is on a very heavily wooded lot, and there are large trees all around the house, and even though um, they had been somewhat pruned and trimmed, uh, we felt there was a danger uh, of those one or more of those trees possibly falling on the house, so we relocated to our daughter's home during the actual Hurricane Irma because that house didn't have uh, that kind of uh, obstruction to worry about. Now, we did have a lot of branches go down, but no large trees went on the house. So it was a problem, but not uh, a serious problem. This is Pam Rao from Mountain View, California. I was lucky to have the fire department actually give me a fire extinguisher. But it sat for so many years that when I did need it for a stove fire, I had no fire extinguisher. So what I keep next to the stove is a brand-new open box of baking soda and put it on the flames, and it, it, it gets rid of them. But the reason the firemen don't tell you in their fire lectures is that people get powder and soda mixed up, and you put baking powder on a fire. Now you've really, you, you just put, made it into a bomb. But, oh, that's, that's great information. Well, uh, and the but, thing is, the way you yeah. can remember it is uh, rectangle or square box. And the the powder comes in a canister, a round canister. But it really does work, and the last time I turned, I've done it twice now, where I have burners I don't use, 
and I accidentally turned it on and didn't realize. I've since taken the uh, the knobs off the stove, so if I want to use those burners, I have to uh, dig in the drawer to get the the, the knob. Oh, that's a that's a great idea. Yeah, so I won't have another stupid fire. You know, it's interesting she mentioned about the fire extinguishers. I'm glad she brought it up because if people have an extinguisher, that's fine, but it's not fine if they don't keep it charged. And the recommendation is at least once a year or every two years, get that fire extinguisher checked. And the fire department will check them for free, but check them to make sure they are charged. Um, the, the extinguishers actually have a gauge on them to let you know what the charge uh, value is, but it's not going to be a whole lot of good to somebody who's visually impaired. So it's best to get somebody to check. If you're going to have an extinguisher, make sure it's charged and it's in a place where you can use it. Um, that it, that it's, it's not much good if it's in a different room when you need it. Um, so, I mean, that's, that's very important to know that. The other thing that you'd mentioned, uh, Dr. Bill, about where the, to to uh, aim an extinguisher. You know, an extinguisher is not much good if you don't aim it correctly. Um, I participated in a uh, training program put on by our fire department, and they basically said you need to aim the extinguisher at the base of the fire, not at the top of the fire. And so if you look at a blind person, how do you know where the base of the fire is? So as Jim said, it's best to be ready uh, instead of, uh, of uh, relying on being able to use an extinguisher. You might, unless it's a small fire, you might be better off to get out of the. the you know, uh, I'd rather lose a building than lose my life. Oh, that is so bright. That is so smart. You know, I agree. We we don't want to try to be the hero. But uh, Jim, you know, one of the things that you had mentioned too was that your family had a car. And you were able to evacuate. And the one question that I, I have about this, I was thinking, like, let's say, for example, that you're in an area that there's a fire and fires all around you or uh, there, there's a flood. How did you know or how did your driver, the person in your family who was driving the car, how did you know what direction to go? I mean, well, how did well, you we, know that you weren't driving into a, a more damaged area? That's an excellent point. Um, we did not leave uh, and relocate during the storm. We went right before the storm was due to hit. So we didn't have that issue to deal with. But you remind me of something I read this weekend. Um, there was... Uh, an elderly couple on top of a mountain in uh, the Napa, Sonoma area of California this weekend, and their children were pleading with them to leave, and they finally loaded some things into their car at 2 o'clock in the morning, and they drove down the hill to the end of their driveway to leave, and lo and behold, there was fire everywhere in front of them. Oh. They could not go anywhere. Uh, they took the car back up to their house and really didn't know what to do and finally realized that their neighbor had a swimming pool. So they walked down the hill to their neighbors, submerged themselves in the swimming pool for better than eight hours, and when they got out of the pool and went back up the hill, their house was nothing but ash. Um, oh my God! The reason the reason I tell this story, like in tonight's setting, is because it's all part of emergency preparations and planning. Um, if you would think through these kinds of disasters, it's just like making sure you know how to get it out of your house if it catches on fire. You need to have two ways to get out, and if you only have one door to get out, then you need to know what window you could break or, and have something to break it with by the window. You need to always have a escape route in mind. 
And these people were very lucky that at the last minute they realized this pool was there and available and could be used and, in fact, saved their lives. Um, and the fire burned the side of the pool, all around the pool deck was burned and everything, but they walked away. So um, I've never had to face the actual disaster of trying to relocate. Um, I will say one time I was in a building that uh, was the focus of a bomb threat and evacuation orders, and we didn't have a car, and we had to take with us uh, a few of our belongings and walk uh, about a half a mile or a mile, actually it was more like two miles, to a, a safe place where we could uh, be until we got the all clear from the police that we could go back into the building. Uh, you know, you have to think through these things, develop plans, uh, and you're better off trying to do it before the disaster uh, hits than after if it's at all possible. Wow. It's it's really, really, really amazing. Doug, when you left, was the hurricane, had it already hit and your area was starting to flood, or did you leave before the hurricane actually hit? We, we left before. Um, we've had two hurricanes in the past year. Um, hurricane Matthew uh, hit Daytona, and we had heard that there could be a 15-foot storm surge. So what we, we decided to do is we left and we went to stay with some friends who live up, believe it or not, there are hills in Florida. Uh, they live in a higher area, so we went and stayed with them. And got, after, after the storm, we came back and two trees had fallen out. So it's wow. good we left. Um, several years ago, um, the streets flooded, and we had water. It came within 10 feet of our garage. Wow. Um, our, our house was high enough, so it, you know, it was okay. Some houses across the street from us that are lower ended up getting flooded. We were lucky that way, but we weren't here. Um, when Irma hit, we were re really lucky, but uh, I always say that Matthew did a good job and cleaned our, our yard for us, so when Irma hit, there wasn't any trees to blow on our house. Oh, jeez. Wow. You know, Jim, you said something that is very, very important in my opinion, and that is talking about insurance. I know that, for example, uh, in California, we have a lot of earthquakes. You might be a person who owns a home, but if you don't have any earthquake insurance, anything that you lose in your home during the earthquake, it will not be covered by your homeowner's insurance. You have to have the earthquake insurance. And you had mentioned that you would have to have flood insurance if you lose any items due to a hurricane or a flood. Is that also the case for a person who might rent? Maybe you rent an apartment, but what if your apartment gets flooded and all these thousands and thousands of dollars of computers and TVs you own, it gets damaged? Would you have to have flood insurance to get that covered by your insurance company? You have to have some type of uh, content coverage um, with with appropriate insurance. In Florida, uh, flood insurance only protects you from rising water. However, if you want to be protected from damage caused by windblown water or wind, you have to have windstorm coverage. Windstorm coverage is a lot like earthquake insurance in California. They've all gotten very expensive, and what the insurance companies have done to try to assist homeowners to some degree is increase the deduct deductible that you uh, have on the insurance so that you self-insure to a point. Um, and right now, um, I think my Miami property has a 5% deductible. So the first 5% of the damage 
has to come out of my pocket. But that's the only way the insurance, which is ex- still extremely expensive, can be affordable. Um, so, you know, during Hurricane Andrew, uh, I had significant uh, insurance claims on both of my properties, and uh, the deductibles were, uh, I think they were like disappearing deductibles, so the larger your claim, the smaller the deductible. But, you know, now to compensate for the increase in premiums um, costs, I've had to um, increase the size of the deductibles that I carry on my property um, so that the insurance is a little more affordable. But, yes, you need flood insurance, you need windstorm insurance, and you need fire and casualty insurance. So, in essence, that's three different coverages um, that you pay for. But, Jim, and at least, you know, Jim, I just have to commend you. You were smart enough to know about this because I bet you there's a lot of people who were affected by the hurricane and the flood, and they didn't know that you have to have this type of insurance to get that type of reimbursement. So I commend you, and I thank you for sharing that information with all of us. You know, at this time, uh, I'm going to ask the audience if you have any questions for either Jim or Doug, just go ahead and unmute your phone by pressing star 1. And go ahead and, and ask uh, who you'd like to ask your question to, Jim or Doug, and then we'll try to take as many questions as we can. So at this time, unmute your phone if you have a question, and let us know who your question is directed to. Uh, Edward? Hi, Edward. Who's your uh, question directed to? Well, I'll uh, make this a toss-up question. Um, I live in a northern-tier state, and... Perhaps our greatest danger is either flooding or blizzards shutting down the city. Any thoughts on either of those? I'll take that, um, if I might. Uh, This is Jim. Um, I think you need to contact uh, your disability services agency in your city or your emergency planning uh, office, which the city must have, and see if there is a um, registration uh, function that's available so that you with a disability could be um, on a list of needing special services, be it shoveling you out of a house or snow plowing your uh, exit uh, from your property or whatever of their assistance you might need, they would have a registration of people with disabilities and will know that you need services if you get uh, flooding or um, blizzard conditions. Thank you. Good point. I, I, um, I'd like to add to what Jim said. Yes, registration is a critical thing, especially if you have special needs. Let the, the people know that you're there. They don't, they're not going to know unless you register. Um, actually, Edward, I lived in New Hampshire, so I'm very familiar with blizzards. No doubt. So, Jim, who is the agency? What is the name of the agency that one would contact to register? Every municipality has different names for these agencies. I would call the mayor's office of your city or county uh, or one of your commissioner's offices and find out what offices handle um, disability services and emergency services. And between the two uh, names, you should be able to get contact with an entity that will provide some assistance. Great. Thank you. You also may be able Next to contact question. the Center for Independent Living. Um, there are hundreds of centers for independent living around the country uh, that deal and specialize in disability services. Uh, you might want to check on check with one of those and let them know. If you have a computer, you could just Google emergency preparedness for the county that you live in. And that also may be able to give you some information. But as Jim said, you contact your city. They should know. 
Thank you, Doug. Uh, next question for Jim or Doug? Dr. Bill, this is Tom. Hey, Tom, how are you? <laughs> I knew you would have a question. <laughs> well, I don't have a question, but I have a comment. Yes. And it's something that, that, that neither Jim nor Doug has touched on. Uh, before we moved to Wyoming, we lived in Central California up in the mountains. And our biggest issue there was uh, you know, fires, of course. And in the wintertime, if you had an emergency, the power would go out. And um, a lot of folks have a fireplace or a little wood-burning stove, and they just kind of have it for atmosphere in their house. And they don't really think about an emergency if the power goes out, how they're going to stay warm. And so my comment is, and I used to do this because we heated our house with wood, try to make sure that you have at least a, a week's worth of firewood on your deck or your patio close enough to the house where you can get to it uh, in case of snow or something like that, you know, where, where your woodshed might be in the, in the South 40, you want to have wood close enough up where you can get to it and survive. So Good point. point. Um, I forgot about that. When I was a kid, my, my aunt and uncle in upper New York had a big wood-burning stove in their kitchen. They used that for heating, and then they had a, um, a woodshed attached to the kitchen with lots and lots of wood in it. But, yes, I forgot all about that. Oh, Tom, thank you. That's a really great point there, really, really great. Well, I, I'd really like to thank both of you gentlemen for all of this information. I mean, this is this is really excellent information. It's very organized. I mean, it almost sounds like we rehearsed this. It was so good. So thank you very much. And if I could ask each of you, uh, would you go ahead and give uh, contact information if anybody wants to call you and ask you to do a lecture for them or if they just have questions? Uh, can, you, can you go ahead and give your contact information? You want to start, Jim? My name is Rock, K-R-A-C-H-T. My email address is jkk48 at bellsouth.com. Dot net. My cell phone number is 305-724-3720. Thank you. And Doug, your, your contact information? Uh, my name is Doug Hall. My email address is D as in dog, H-A-L-L, 318 at C-F-L, that's Charlie Fox Trot Lima, dot rr dot com. My phone number, uh, my regular phone number, is three eight six two five five zero three seven seven, and my iPhone number is three eight six eight five two one two eight five. Great, thank you very very much, and I'd also like to thank Mr. Dick Burden from Airs LA. Uh, this particular podcast will be available in the next couple of days at www.airsla.org and also at cclbi.org. So, again, thank you very much, gentlemen. Thank you all for attending, and we'll talk to you next month. We bring more about low vision. <laughs>